will take time to respond accordingly. Our service will last just over an hour, and you can follow along to know what's coming next. I'll show you how. Grab your phone and go to vmtrweekly.org. It's the best way to stay up to date on everything at the vineyard. In addition to the order of service, you'll find song titles, announcements, sermon notes, and next steps. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you. While you're on vmtrweekly.org, click the Next Steps tab to introduce yourself using the click form. Or grab a Next Steps card from the back of the chair, fill it out, and drop it in an offering box. We'll follow up this week to start a conversation. Easter Sunday is April 17th, and we're invited to our big celebration at 10 a.m. This is the perfect opportunity to invite someone to come to church with you. They'll hear the good news that Jesus is alive. Download the invitation at dotrweekly.org to text your friends. We hope to see you there. On Good Friday, we set aside time to remember Christ's suffering and death on the cross as part of our preparation for Easter. Child care is available by RSVP for kids up to third grade. Check out dotrweekly.org for details and join us Friday, April 15th at 6.30 p.m. For this special contemplative service. If you've been forever changed by Jesus, baptism is your next step. You can be baptized during our service on Sunday, April 24th. Sign up at votrweekly.org to let us know you're interested, and we'll follow up with details. Giving an offering is a great way to invest in joining God's mission, transforming all things. We won't pass the offering baskets during the service. Instead, we invite you to make giving part of your worship by placing your gift in one of the boxes in the back of the sanctuary, or by giving online. Just look for the giving link at votrweekly.org and follow the prompts. Well, service is starting soon. Whether you're on the live stream or you're in the sanctuary right now, we want to invite you to stand as you're able and join us in singing to God. The lyrics will be on screen to help you make these songs your prayers today. invite you to stand as you're able. We're going to start some worship here. Before we jump in, we're going to read from Psalm 126 from the New Living Translation. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest in shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind? was my tomb till I met you I was breathing but not alive all my failures I tried to hide it was my tomb Call. You call my name 
Jesus, we love you and we worship you. Thank you for your presence here with us. Would you be our delight? Would you be at the centermost place of our hearts and our lives and our relationships? Would you be at the center of our church and our gathering this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat and good morning to everyone. If you are in middle school, you can be released at this time. Chaz is in the back and he'll take you across the hallway with the rest of his leaders for your service this morning, but we appreciate the moments of worship that you can share with your family and with us this morning. A special welcome to everyone on the live stream as well. So glad that you can join us. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. And before we launch into our new sermon series, I want to talk a little bit about Easter Sunday together. All the information about Easter or Good Friday, or the upcoming baptisms, or really just anything else that's happening at the Vineyard can always be found on your phone at votrweekly.org, votrweekly.org. If you go to the weekly, as we call it, you'll run into my sermon notes, there'll be uh, the order of service, next steps, all the key announcements that are happening at the church in the next few weeks are always updated there. And we want to talk a little bit about Easter this morning because uh, our decision to do one service at 10 a.m. is going to have a ripple effect on this room. And so Easter, if you didn't know this, is usually highly attended uh, by many Christians looking to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so the only way we're going to be able to pull that off is if we scrunch the chairs a little bit tighter together. You've been enjoying first class seating since social distance. <laughs> But we got to move it back to coach. And so um, that will allow us to put more rows in the back. And if you're an extrovert, this is like probably great news. You might get to sit by a stranger and meet them. This is, this is my world. Like I, but I married an introvert. And so I know how this goes. I know that there's, there's tension. There's a both-and reality. So if you could help us out on Easter, if you could keep that in mind, that we're going to have a lot of guests and we want them to feel really uh, welcomed and that this is a place where they can belong. When you come to church, if you could kind of, you know, eliminate some of the vacancies and maybe sit by a stranger or sit by someone that you know, if you need to pre-plan it, um, be my <laughs> guest. But we expect a lot of folks to come. And so if there's any week where maybe you come five or 10 minutes early to check your kids in and help us with the rush or to find that coveted spot that you love so much, uh, that would be the week. That would be the week to come this Easter. And of course, you know, every Easter, something, uh, something really unique happens. People who have spiritual questions, they are more apt to come to church with you. And so at votrweekly.org, you can actually download a textable invite. We would encourage you to download that textable invite and send it to someone who is maybe looking for a spiritual home, maybe looking to celebrate the resurrected Lord with you. Or maybe there's even someone you know that used to be in this room or used to have a vibrant faith in Christ and just through COVID and life or whatever just kind of drifted away. Now is a very timely opportunity to send them that text and say, would you come and celebrate Easter with me 
at the vineyard. Of course, there's going to be a lot of churches celebrating Easter, and many of them are going to do a fantastic job. But if this is your church home, and if you like the way that we express our faith, then we would invite you to bring someone along with you and help us celebrate together. Okay, quick transition then. We are starting a new series today. We just spent eight weeks together studying the teachings of Christ all around the kingdom of God. Of course, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God all of the time, and so we spent eight eight weeks exploring those different thoughts, but Jesus taught in all kinds of different ways, and he talked about all kinds of different things, and in a lot of ways, he was a fantastic student of his culture. He was an expert at reading the cultural and religious values of the day and kind of redirecting them to a more Christ-like or a kingdom-centered kind of explanation. He just excelled at, at putting his finger on a variety of different topics while offering truth in love on what a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview might look like. One of the biggest phrases that he used that kind of captures this idea is found again and again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the phrase, you've heard it said. You've heard it said. During the Sermon on the Mount, four or five times in a row, Jesus used this phrase to kind of point out an older or maybe an outdated way of thinking, not necessarily a bad way of thinking, but just something that was short of the fullness that Jesus had come to express. So he would say, you've heard it said, and then he would begin to raise the bar and teach a new way to the people who were listening to him, encouraging a new way of living. And it seems like every time he used the phrase, you've heard it said, he would follow it up with this other phrase, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you, such a powerful and authoritative way to preach, really. He's pointing out something that's maybe less than best, and he said, you've heard it said that this is true, but I say to you, and then he would kind of fill in the blank and, again, raise the spiritual bar to this new way of living in Christ. So this title of really our whole series, we've just stolen the words from Jesus unapologetically and called them, uh, called them our own for this series title, You've heard it said. And so for four weeks, we're going to look at four phrases that are repeated time and time again, and we're going to dig into the scriptures, and we're going to ask, how would Jesus respond to that today? The only difference between maybe the Sermon on the Mount and this particular series is that we're not going to use phrases and ideas from 2,000 years ago. We're going to look at some of the cultural phrases and some of the cultural ideas that, that we're wrestling with today, and we're going to place them in that phrase. So it would be like, you've heard it said, and then enter in some cultural phrase that you hear time and time again. How would Jesus respond? But I say to you, but I say to you, of course, his word will be our guide all along the way. It doesn't take very long to pick up on the various phrases that are influencing our culture today. All you have to do is walk a little bit slower through the checkout aisle at Target and look at the magazines all around you, and you can learn pretty quickly what kinds of things are being celebrated in our culture. I watched all kinds of March Madness games, and so I, I tried paying attention to the commercials to see what they're selling and how they're selling it and the message of why behind what there is, what there is they're trying to present to me. To pay attention to what the culture is saying. If you're really struggling, just look on Instagram or on Twitter and follow down that internet wormhole of hashtags to see which ones are repeated most often, and you will find out what our culture is talking about the most. 
And these phrases aren't all bad. Some of them are phrases that we use, maybe some of us, on a daily basis. Maybe some of the phrases have been used in conversation with you, and there are other phrases that will feel like some of the phrases have been used against you in the weeks to come. But if we can hold our hearts with transparency and humility before the Lord, I trust that God will speak to us throughout this series and through his words that are still alive today. So let's dig into our first phrase. Message one in a series titled, You've Heard It Said. This is a phrase that I think has been gaining traction for a number of years now. It's the phrase, you do you. You do you. By the murmur, some of us have heard this phrase. But maybe more than any other phrase we're going to use in this series, you do you, has the potential for the widest generational gap. And so if you've never heard you do you, don't worry, I will contextualize it as best as I can for all of the boomers in the room or Xers or millennials or whatever. We'll cover it. But we're talking about you do you because this phrase is beginning to be used more and more and more In reality, though, if you really dig into it and you pay attention to how it's being used, it's it's pretty obvious that it's not a new phrase, or it's not a new idea. It is a new phrase, but it's an old idea that's just modernized in a new, more hip kind of way to say it. But there's nothing new under the sun. This is a phrase, the idea has been used for generations and generations. The difference with you do you to maybe some of the standard meanings of what this plays into, though, is that you do you now has such a wide-ranging application. I've heard this phrase used in a variety of different ways and different meanings and different moments. You know, at times, it's used to encourage someone who might become Uh, who's struggling with who they are, who God's created them to be. And so you would use this phrase, you do you, to kind of empower and encourage someone. A a very low-level example would be little Susie, who wants to play the clarinet or whatever instrument, but all of her friends want her to play volleyball. And so her best friend or her mom would look her in the eye and say, little Susie, you do you. Don't worry about what everyone else says. You do you. Of course, that's a quite a G-rated version of how this could be applied in various people's lives, but this is kind of what I'm talking about. Taylor Swift made this famous in her own version of the phrase, and I think she probably stole it from somebody else, but she said, shake it off. Right? You just got to shake it off. Haters are going to hate. At other times, this is a, a more broad phrase. It's a more broad phrase that's used to kind of be a catch-all, to almost reinforce Whatever it is that you want to do, it's the new version to say whatever makes you happy or whatever brings you joy, just you do you. And so you can translate this phrase across generational lines. I'm sure you can think of how you said it when you were growing up. There's no way to address all the different ways that you do you is used in our culture today. So we're going to zero in on one of them this morning because I think one of the ways I've seen it more and more at least in the church world, at least how the culture has begun to influence the church, is we've begun to use you do you almost as a passive-aggressive way to avoid conflict. We, we know that something is off. We know that something is wrong. We don't really want to wade into the waters with that person. And so at a distance, we just say, hey, you do you. 
I disagree with the decision. I disagree with the lifestyle. I disagree with the way that you're going about your life. But hey, I, who am I to judge? You do you. It's become almost this passive-aggressive or sarcastic way to dismissively turn people away. You can subtly display your disagreement, but at an arm's length. And as someone who genuinely wants to grow in my own discipleship alongside all of you, I think we need to seriously pause and question and ask, how would Jesus respond to that phrase? If Jesus were to walk around our college campus, if he were to spend time in your neighborhood or your workplace or your family, what kind of phrases might he hear? And if he heard this one time and time again, how might he respond? To follow the scriptural precedent, it might sound a little bit like this. Jesus would start by saying, you've heard it said, you do you. And then he would follow it up with, but I say to you. John 14, 6, I think we find at least one of his potential responses. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this scripture is becoming less and less popular in a post-truth and a post-Christian world, but it's, it's such a definitive statement by Jesus that it does kind of require your heart to do some business with God. I mean, there's only a few ways you can respond to such a dynamic saying by Jesus. You either have to believe it and then trust him, or you have to kind of try to change what it means so that what he said applies to your life more the way you want it to, or you have to dismiss it and ignore it. But there's only so many ways that you can respond to such a definitive and declarative statement by Jesus. You've heard it said, you do you, but Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This isn't the only way I think Jesus would respond to this idea and phrase. A few weeks ago, Natalie taught from Galatians 5. She mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. And if you've never heard the phrase fruit of the Spirit, uh, it's just a metaphor for like the types of characteristics and qualities that a, a believer uh, is growing in his or her life when they wholeheartedly follow Jesus. It's not some kind of weird thing that we're actually growing things in our backyard or something like that that looks like some kind of pagan ritual, right? This is just a metaphor for the types of things we ought to be growing in our life. Here in Galatians 5, you see this list. Here's a refresher from a few weeks ago. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, these are all amazing things, things that we all want in our life more and more and more. And of course, they come into our life as part of a long journey with Christ. They take time to develop. But if you look at the last fruit on that list, it's kind of the interesting one, especially in light of this idea, you do you, because it doesn't seem to perfectly coincide with the you do you reality. Self-control. On, on, on one hand, Jesus might say, you've heard it said, you do you, but I, am the, but I say to you, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus might also say, you've heard it said, you do you, but I say to you, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not do whatever makes you happy. You do you. It's not whatever brings you joy. But Jesus would say that as a follower of Christ, 
that as a believer, you begin to put limits on your life in order to honor God with your whole self. But this is part of the Christian faith. Now, in a lot of ways, I feel like we've shied away from conversations like this. And in a desire to always keep the peace and not ruffle any feathers, we've sometimes traded biblical conviction for a false harmony. We've chosen worldly pleasure or desire in the place of a spirit-led self-control. Not a religiously-led self-control, but a spirit-led self-control. And at times, the church has been one of the harshest critics. And even us as individuals, if we're being honest, I know I'm guilty of this as well, that sometimes we've looked at people's lives and we've either explicitly or implicitly, consciously, subconsciously, however we've approached it, we've looked at someone and we've said, nah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep my distance. Like you do you and I'm gonna do my thing. Because that's easier. It's easier to keep someone over there. It's easier to keep someone at an arm's length and just live your life if you can simply or maybe even sometimes flippantly dismiss someone who you disagree with. You do you. And I understand there's not a rush to correct people. It'd be really weird if we just walked around correcting people. That is not going to bode well for the faith and the expansion of the kingdom of God, that will not go well for you. But in a lot of ways, it has become difficult for many of us to sharpen one another or correct someone because we now are dealing with this fear of being known as judgmental or hypercritical, and we don't know how to engage with people that we truly love and we truly care for. We've all had bad examples of coaching and teaching and parenting or even pastoring. And we don't want to repeat those mistakes. We don't want to add to the cultural narrative that Christians are just shameful and condemning. And so for fear of being the bad examples, we just say, you do you, and we walk away. If you don't say, you do you, maybe you Christianize it, and you translate it to good church talk, and you say, Lord, I give them to you. <laughs> You're just going to have to sort them out. Right? Right? I pray for them, and I release them to you, Holy Spirit. I don't know why there was a little bit of a southern twang on that last one. <laughs> Just naturally, naturally flows out. <laughs> but can you, Just, can you imagine for a moment, can you imagine for a moment if, if we were to become a church that was the type of church that could look at someone we truly loved and we truly cared for and we truly shared life with and, and we were able to sharpen them with the way, the truth, and the life and not just dismiss them off to the side. I mean, what type of person might you be? What would happen to your family if you embrace the reality of, of knowing Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, knowing that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and instead of keeping people at arm's distance, saying, you do, you put, you put their arms around them, and you said, let's walk this journey out together. Imagine what would happen to your relationships. Imagine what would happen to this spiritual community, or even our city, 
If we became more and more the type of people who didn't shy away from truth, but we allowed the kingdom of God to saturate every area of our lives. There are a lot of people in the world. There are a lot of people in our city. There are probably a lot of people in your own life who have walked away from the Lord. A lot of people who have walked away from the faith or turned their back on the church or called it irrelevant and have done their own thing. And if you could become the type of person that doesn't keep them at an arm's distance, but put, their, put your arm around them and, and bring them back in, imagine how many people might come rushing back into a relationship with Jesus. Now, to do that well, I, I think we're going to need some help. We're going to need some help from the Holy Spirit so that we step into these relationships and into these conversations full of the love of Christ, we're going to need some help from Scripture because it is true. We don't want to repeat the sins of old. We don't want to become some hypercritical person. We don't want to reinforce the cultural norms of who Christians are. A great place in Scripture to go to to find out how to begin doing this is in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, I think, is one of the the best starting points for us if these are the type of people that we want to become. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, that's Paul's way of saying that he's talking to the church, by the way. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people in this room. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. I love verse 3. Paul just lays it on. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I could have, I could have cut that last one out for this morning, but I was like, we've got to keep this one in. It's just too rich, right? You are not that important. Verse 1, and this is nice because they're not my words, like I'm just reading the Bible, so. (laughs) Verse 1 and verse 2, look at what it says. First, it says that we are to humbly and gently walk people back to the right path. Humbly and gently. And any believer who read this in the first century would have known that Jesus already declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. So when they heard Galatians 6, they would have automatically connected the right path to the way. And that would have been an immediate connection for the first century here. But I love how clearly this passage states that this is what we do. This is the Christian thing to do. This is the believer's thing to do. That as brothers and sisters... We are to find believers who are maybe drifting away, and we are to bring them back to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, find someone and and let their sin deeply offend you and get really critical and judgmental. It doesn't even say, be offended by people's sin who are outside of the faith. I mean, if they're outside of the faith, why would their behavior line up with yours? Don't be offended by that. But it says, brothers and sisters, gently and humbly, bring them back on to the right path. Go get them. Pursue them again and again and again. Be gentle and humble. And then one of the most powerful things in verse 2, it says to share each other's burdens. 
to share one another's burdens. This is so important for us to hear this morning because if we want to be the type of people who win believers back when they're starting to slip, when they're starting to turn their back on God or starting to fall away, if we want to do this in a biblical kind of way, we need to be willing to share their burdens. This is the type of person that I know I want to be. It's the type of husband, it's the type of father, it's the type of friend and pastor and leader that I want to be, someone who can share in the burdens of God's people. When I look around this room, when I imagine the folks who are viewing online, I know that this is the church that we are becoming. I know this because we've had conversations about how you're trying to live and how you're trying to win people back to the kingdom. We're filled with folks who don't want to watch others slip further and further away, who don't want to hold folks off at a distance or dismiss others when they make a mistake or they slip up. But we're a church who comes alongside the struggles of others, who with humility and gentleness inside of relationship are willing to share the burdens of our lives. I think a bold way to say it would almost be to take this and also invert it. And so if you'll allow me to be bold this morning, and, and let me just say that, 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 if you're, that if you're not ready to be humble, if you're not ready to be gentle, or if you're not ready to share in someone's burdens, then maybe let someone else correct that person. Is that okay? And it's okay if that's where you're at too. We all have different seasons of life. Some of us are in a season of healing. Some of us are in a season of, of being depleted and burned out. And we, we just need to be in a place where we're receiving and, and being filled by the Lord's presence where we can recalibrate our faith to be centered on Christ. If you're not ready to be humble and gentle and to share in someone else's burden, it's okay. It's okay to let someone else step up in that moment because we've all seen it done poorly. And it hurts. And sometimes that means that person walks away for a few more years or even decades. But when it's done right, when it looks like Galatians 6, when the heart of Jesus Christ is on display, this kind of attitude towards one another changes lives. It helps people out of struggles. It lifts burdens off of their shoulders. They weren't able or called to bear. And it helps them experience the love of Jesus and the forgiveness that we see on the cross time and time again. <clears throat> As I prepare to close, if you'll allow me to just kind of recap the idea, but also to lead us maybe into a time of reflective and invitational prayer. I think some of us, when we hear the phrase, you do you, and we talk around it, I think what most makes sense for you is that that phrase has been used maybe in your own life to allow the subjectivity of our culture or the fluidity of truth to kind of influence your own life, where you've taken it hook, line, and sinker, and you've started to believe, hey, you do you, like everybody's truth is truth. And so for you, maybe this morning in our time of prayer, you just need to sit with God and you just need to say, show me what it means that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Show me that again. Because I, I want to have a shorter leash with you, Lord. I want to be closer to you. 
But for others, I, I think this last idea we've kind of been talking about, about finding someone who's maybe slipping away, maybe somebody who's turning away from the Lord, finding that person and, and bringing them in with gentleness and humility and sharing their burdens. When I started to teach that, you literally had names come into your mind. Pay attention to those names. That might be the way that God is speaking to you this morning. Not in like this loud, audible voice, but just the names that he's dropping onto your mind, the names he's dropping onto your heart, that maybe you're here because you have people in your life that have started to drift and God wants you with gentleness and humility and the ability to share their burdens to come alongside of them, to call them back to the faith, to call them back to a relationship with Jesus. It makes me wonder what it would look like if we could sign up for that all over again. When you pursue others in love, when you pursue them in gentleness and humility and you're willing to share their burdens, the truth is sometimes we can get hurt too. Rejection after rejection after rejection is hard. It weighs down on our hearts. But what would it look like if Jesus invigorated you once again to do this? What would it look like? Maybe it's that person that, that needs to be invited to Easter. And this is the beginning step of reengaging in that relationship. And this is a big ministry for some of us in this room. I think this is the potential to be a large ministry in your life. Because if we can take this, if we can apply it to our lives, we can begin to walk it out. We'll be joining God's mission, transforming all things. We'll be transforming lives. We'll be transforming marriages and neighborhoods and cities. Imagine that person that you're thinking about, totally forgiven, the weight of sin lifted completely off of their shoulders, and again, in line with the person of Jesus Christ, that is worth the fight. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your presence here with us. <clears throat> Lord, we love you and we worship you. I recognize that in this room, there are just so many people in so many different areas of their life. Some of us are the person who has drifted away and we're just here. We just found ourselves in this church this morning. Would you, would you speak to us this morning? Call us back into a deeper relationship with you. If you are the way, the truth, and the life, then we want to find our life in you. And for those of us who have names and people and faces running across our mind and our heart, help us not to ignore those promptings, Lord believing and trusting that those promptings are from you. So come, Lord Jesus, and have your way. Amen. Amen. At the Vineyard, after every message, we always take a moment to just sit and quietly reflect on all that we have just heard. We've just found this is a really important part of our service, an important part of our life, because if we rush off to whatever is next too quickly, we can sometimes miss those small ways that God is speaking to us this morning. And so take a few moments to just do some business with God, to ask him about the way, the truth, and the life, to ask him about self-control, or to ask him how to walk with gentleness, humility, and the sharing of burdens of, God, of the people God has placed in your life. In a few moments, then I'll be back up to lead us into a time of ministry and response, but take these next few moments for yourself. 
Let's stand together. In addition to creating a time of quiet reflection where you can kind of silently pray to the Lord about all that you've heard, we also always want to create an opportunity for you to respond to what God might be doing in your life, in your relationships, in your connection with Him. And so there's a variety of ways that you can respond this morning. Obviously, our team is present and they'll sing a few more songs. We would encourage you to lift your voice in worship, making these lyrics your prayers, your response to God this morning. If you came prepared to give as an act of worship, you can do that in the boxes in the back or online at any point. We have communion up front, and so you're welcome to come forward and remember the sacrifice of Jesus and all that he has done for you in the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood to set you free. And our prayer team is in the back. We, we just really believe in having a ministry time available and in the service. And so, you know, as we gather, I mean, it, it's straight from Galatians 6. Part of the way we share each other's burdens is by praying together is by praying for you and with you and asking the Lord to break into your life and bring healing or forgiveness or to eliminate shame or depression or to to begin working on reconciliation. Whatever it is, our team is in the back and, and they would love to begin sharing that burden with you this morning. There are a couple things kind of on my heart as as I was preaching and praying this morning. The first is that I just feel like there's a sense that some of us want to live into this. Some of us want to be received by Christ. Some of us want to be maybe even commissioned by Christ to go and grab those who are hurting, who are on the fringe, but we feel like we've sinned past the point of calling. That we've sinned past the point of calling and now we're just damaged goods and and God can't enlist us in his work anymore. Listen, that is a lie. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so you could be forgiven wholly. That sin would be separated as far as the east is from the west. That your scarlet stains would be washed completely clean and white. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if that is you this morning, God has plans and purposes for you in the kingdom. Nothing can disqualify you because his love is enough. And if that's you, if that's exactly where you're at this morning, then I know our prayer team would love to pray with you. The second thing that's just kind of on my heart is that as I go through a message like this, I realize that there are any number of us who have been in a church before where the church hasn't always done correction with humility or gentleness or by sharing your burden. And if that's your experience, then I just wanna say, we would like to be part of your healing journey. We would like to be part of, of your reconciliation to Christ and reconciliation to his church. And we would like to do it in a different kind of way. but we wanna pray for you. We wanna pray for you because those old wounds and those, those old bags can be dropped and you can walk into his presence and walk into healing with him, not carrying the pain from the past. As a pastor, I wanna say that I'm sorry if that has been your experience. And we would like to be part of that restoration and healing process. So if that's you, we would love to pray with you in the back as well. Join me in prayer and then let's respond together. Holy Spirit, would you come?
right now in Jesus' name and fall upon us. All over this room and everyone tuning in online, God, we just know there are so many burdens we are carrying. There are so many things that we are going through. What would it look like if we laid them down at your feet, but we also had someone to walk us to the cross? Can we walk others to the cross? And for those of us who are just hurting, can we be walked to the cross by someone else? Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. Amen. Let's worship. Go back and get prayer. Come forward for communion. In a few songs, I'll be back up to close our service this morning.
even when I do, you don't walk out when I threaten to. You are steady when I can't be still. Your love finds me, and it always will. You don't give up even when I do. You don't walk out when I threaten to. You are steady when I can't be still. Your love finds me, and it always will. From the highest highs to the lowest lows, from the mountain top to the valley below, in the darkest night, though I try to hide, even there you
join in. thank you so much for your presence here with us. We love you. We worship you. We, we look and reflect at our own life and re we realize all we have is because of you. Any goodness we have is because of you. Any fruitfulness we have is because of you. Help us to worship you in response to that goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for worshiping with us. I was thinking about how to close the service. And sometimes a pastor will come up and give a really great benediction. And so uh, in light of Paul, Galatians 6, verse three, if you think you're that important, you are not. Go help someone. <laughs> and if that deeply offended you, I'll be in the lobby and I'll pray for you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>